0: Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2012. Dealing with Paul's Epistles to the Thessalonians, it's brought to you by Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, the Sabbath School Department, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 13, September 22-28, Keeping the Church Faithful sabbath afternoon september 22 before we start let's pray our heavenly father we come to the end of this series of lessons from paul writing to the church in thessalonica and as we do so we want to thank you for the gems that are there the the blessings and the knowledge of you and your will for us and as we finalize this study this week we pray that you'll continue to bless, and may our lives be changed as a result. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's Sabbath afternoon, and our memory text is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Let's read that again, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. The key thought for this week is, even with all the grand and glorious promises for the future, we have to deal with daily challenges and struggles in the church. The Thessalonian church was no exception. Churches are a lot like plants. If a plant does not grow, it will die. In other words, change is wide into the way plants were designed by God. Similarly, a church that does not change and grow also will die. But not all change is good. Change can lead us away from who we are. It can cause us to lose touch with God's purpose for us. The Seventh-day Adventist Church must be especially on guard because this present truth message is being proclaimed by no one but us. That's a heavy responsibility, one we all, whether laity or ministry, must never forget. Through revelation and spirit-guided consensus, God has led the Church to even more light. The light of the past helps the Church to navigate its way through the treacherous waters of change. Paul's final word to the Thessalonians gives us inspired guidance in this crucial area. Sunday, September 23... Faithful by God's choice. 2 Thessalonians two thirteen to 17 is our text for today. The language of this section recalls the prayer at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians. It is almost as if Paul is returning to the place where he began, creating a natural conclusion to this pair of letters. Paul here expresses his concern that the believers in Thessalonica not deviate from the path on which he has placed them question. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 13 to 17. Why does Paul thank God for the Thessalonians? What does he ask them to do in this passage? In what ways are these words so pertinent to us today, so near the end? Verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. The lives of the Thessalonians provided evidence to Paul that they had been chosen as first fruits to be saved. Some translations say, from the beginning. Though salvation is a gift, the believer experiences it through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. The life of the believer is more than just a subjective experience. It is solidly grounded in truth. That is why Paul is so concerned that the Thessalonians hold to the doctrines they have been taught, both by letter and the spoken word. Paul's grasp of truth often slips with the passage of time, which is why we must always be affirmed by those who preach and teach us. In the early days of the church, there was even a preference for oral tradition over written tradition. Oral tradition is less subject to unintentional distortion. Tone of voice and gestures communicate meaning more accurately than do words on a page. This is why preaching as a method of communication never grows old. But written tradition, as in the letters of Paul, is less subject to intentional distortion by those who would alter the gospel for their own purposes. The written word provides a secure and unchangeable norm by which one can test the oral messages that come through preaching. In the book of Acts, the Bereans were commended because they combined attention to the oral messages with careful examination of the scriptures in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. And so to finish the day, read again the text for today. So many forces are always at work trying to pry us away from the truth. Look at how you have changed over time. Do these changes reveal a slow, steady settling into the truth, or slow, steady movement away from it? In other words, in what direction is your life moving? Beginning at verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Monday, September 24. Confidence in the Face of Evil. In today's world, many people laugh at the idea of a literal Satan. In their mind, he's a myth, a holdover from a superstitious and pre scientific era. They feel that good and bad are simply the random consequences of cause and effect, or in some people's mind, Good and bad are only culturally constructed concepts relative to specific times and places, nothing more. But the Bible clearly asserts that Satan is real, and it is often to his advantage in some parts of the world to hide himself or even allow himself to be mocked in the form of a red devil with horns. The caricature goes a long way in making people think he's not real, which is exactly what he wants. The devil made me do it one comedian used to famously mock question read second thessalonians chapter 3 verses 1 to 5 though the challenges to our faith are out there paul expresses hope on what is that hope based and what is the condition upon which we can be certain to claim it well second thessalonians chapter 3 verses 1 to 5 finally brethren Pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from the unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, and and into the patience of Christ. Also, we're asked to compare this with Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 28, and Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1. First of all, Luke chapter 10 and verses 25 to 28, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. And then Deuteronomy chapter 8 And verse 1, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. Paul begins this passage with a request for prayer, as in 1 Thessalonians 5.25, that the gospel may spread rapidly and be honoured through his work. Paul also wants the Thessalonians to pray that he will be delivered from evil men. The expression here implies that he has in mind specific individuals whom the recipients of the letter might even know. Paul follows this with word play in verses 2 and 3. Not all men have faith, trust in or commitment to God, but the Lord is faithful, dependable, one who inspires faith and commitment. This faithful Lord is dependable and will guard them against the evil one or Satan. The good news is that though Satan is more powerful than we are, the Lord is more powerful than Satan and we can find safety and power in the Lord. Paul ends this passage in verse 5 by once more commending the Thessalonians and offering a prayer in their behalf. He is confident that they are doing what he has asked and that they will continue to do so in spite of opposition of Satan and the people he inspires. He offers a wish prayer in verse 5 that the Lord direct their attention to the love of God and the patience of Christ. And so to finish today, even amid trials and suffering, Paul's letters are always so full of faith, hope and certainty. How can we learn to have this faith, hope and certainty for ourselves, regardless of our often difficult circumstances? Tuesday, September 25, Scripture and Tradition When Jesus walked this earth, there was no New Testament. The Bible of Jesus was the Old Testament. But from the start, obedience to Jesus' spoken words was the wise thing that his followers did. Jesus' words and actions continued to be authoritative for the Church in the years that followed. Then... Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the apostles were guided to rightly interpret the words of Jesus and the significance of his actions. And, before the first generation of Christians had passed off the scene, the writings of the apostles were considered fully equal to those of the Old Testament prophets and could be called Scripture. Question. Read Second Thessalonians 3, 6-8, and verse 14. According to these verses, what would Paul include in his concept of truth? Beginning at verse 6. But we commend you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toiled night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. And then verse 14. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person, and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. By the time Paul arrived in Thessalonica, The early church considered the sayings of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles as supremely authoritative. Tradition in New Testament times was not necessarily a dirty word. It could refer to the church's memory of the sayings and actions of Jesus and include the oral teachings and writings of the apostles. Tradition was to them much the same as the scriptures are to us. It could be commanded and was to be obeyed. For the Thessalonians, tradition meant more than just the letters of Paul. It included all that Paul had said to them while he was in Thessalonica and included also his actions which they were to imitate. The fact that Paul worked hard to support himself in Thessalonica did not merely show that he cared for them. It was a tradition that he expected them to apply to their own lives. Paul was not idle while he was among them. He did not eat other people's food without payment. He laboured night and day so as not to be a burden to anyone. And anyone in Thessalonica who lived differently was out of order. So Paul's definition of disorderly people was not limited to those who were disruptive in the church or community. He broadened it here to include anyone who did not follow the teachings or practices of the apostles. So to finish today. These texts reveal how important Paul's actions were for the Thessalonians. Though he had truth directly from the Lord, as he says in Galatians one, Paul bore witness as much by his life and actions as by his words. How well do our lives reflect the truths that we have been given? Wednesday, September 26, Working and Eating Question What unique type of problem does Paul face in the Thessalonian church? 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 9-12 to Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. In these verses, Paul applies the tradition of what he did and said to a specific situation. A significant group of members was disorderly or out of order. Paul had mentioned the problem in the previous letter and addressed it gently there in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. But he uses much stronger language here. As an apostle, Paul could have required the church to provide him with income, housing, and food. But in 1 Thessalonians, he had set an example among them of working night and day in order not to be a burden on them. This was an example of love. But according to Second Thessalonians chapter three verse eight, he also worked night and day in order to create a model of how everyone should take care of their own needs as much as possible. If Paul had only set an example, some could have responded that the tradition was not clear. But Paul had also addressed this issue with words. During the short time he was with them in person, he often expressed, as the Greek imperfect tense implies a popular saying as a command in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. In this passage, Paul is not criticizing the efforts to care for those in need, those who can't take care of themselves. After all, Jesus himself left a powerful example of compassion toward those whose circumstances in life have left them helpless or destitute. Instead, the target of Paul's concern was a group of people in the church who were willfully idle. They were busybodies, minding everyone's business except their own. Like some of the popular philosophers in the ancient world, these believers preferred a life of ease over labour. Perhaps they spent their time discussing theology or criticizing the behavior of others instead of earning their way. Paul commands them, in the Lord Jesus Christ, to follow his example and earn the right to speak by caring for their own needs first. How amazing to finish today that even so early in church history, Paul had to deal with so many problems among the members. How should this protect us, and especially new members, from the expectation that our churches are going to be filled with saintly people? More important, how can we be a positive force in our local church, despite our own faults and weaknesses? Thursday, September 27, Tough Love Question. According to Matthew 18, verses 15-17, how is the church supposed to treat a person who has been disfellowshipped? Matthew 18, 15 to 17 Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if you will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. The matter of church discipline is one of the most difficult issues that a local church faces. Often an errant member is another member's brother, mother, son, cousin, or best friend. Some members prefer never to discipline anyone. Others prefer harsh sanctions. How does a church find the will of God in the midst of so many competing interests? Matthew 18 suggests a clear and simple process. First, a one-on-one conversation between the offender and the one offended. The context indicates that forgiveness is to be the goal of that conversation whenever possible. Second, the offended member is to take one or two other along to avoid confusion as to what is being said by one party or the other. Only after these first two steps have been carefully followed should the process move to the church in business session. Then, if the offender does not respond to the church as a whole, he or she is to be treated as a Gentile and a tax collector, as it said in verse 17 of Matthew 18. Here is the problem. What does it mean to treat someone like a Gentile and tax collector? There are at least two different possibilities. On the one hand, Jesus could be calling the church to shun the offender the way the Gentiles and tax collectors were shunned in the society in which he grew up. On the other hand, it could be a call to treat the outcast the way Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors, with compassion and forgiveness. Question. What does Paul have to say about church discipline? In 2 Thessalonians three thirteen to 15 But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person, and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Rightly applying Matthew 18 and 2 Thessalonians 3 to contemporary life is a challenge. No two people are alike. No two situations are alike. In some cases, forgiveness softens the heart of an offender and brings reconciliation to the church. In other cases, hardened offenders may respond only to a love that is tough enough to confront and administer consequences. This is why the General Conference does not disfellowship anyone. Such delicate processes are best handled by the local church, where the offender is best known. Tough love is not a license for abuse. According to verse 15, the person being disciplined is still to be treated like family. The church must remain conscious that the offender is a brother for whom Christ died. Romans 14 tells us about that. And so does 1 Corinthians chapter 8. First of all, in Romans chapter 14 and verse 15. And that reads, Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one whom Christ died. The one for whom Christ died. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 11, and because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. So to finish today, what experiences have you had with church discipline? How can the church maintain a balance between confrontation and acceptance? Friday, September 28. From the book The Acts of the Apostles, page 261, we read The Thessalonian believers were greatly annoyed by men coming among them with fanatical ideas and doctrines. Some were disorderly, working not at all, but busybodies. The church had been properly organized, and officers had been appointed to act as ministers and deacons. But there were some, self-willed and impetuous who refused to be subordinate to those who held positions of authority in the church and from the same book page 348 and 349 Paul was not wholly dependent upon the labor of his hands for the support while at Thessalonica notwithstanding the fact that he received this help he was careful to set before the Thessalonians an example of diligence so that none could rightfully accuse him of covetousness, and also that those who held fanatical views regarding manual labour might be given a practical rebuke. And from the 7th Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 912. The custom of supporting men and women in idleness by private gifts or church money encourages them in sinful habits, and this course should be conscientiously avoided. Every man, woman and child should be educated to do practical, useful work. All should learn some trade. It may be tent making or it may be business in other lines, but all should be educated to use the members of their body to some purpose and God is ready and willing to increase the adaptability of all who will educate themselves to industrious habits. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. How does our church keep its balance between hanging on to truths confirmed in the past and following the advancing light of God? How can we know when new light is indeed light and not deception? 2. How do we deal with unruly and troublesome church members who always seem to be complaining about something? At the same time, what about those who are expressing concerns over real problems? 3 mentally summarise Paul's essential message in these two letters to the Thessalonians in a way that makes them relevant to the situation in our church today. And to summarise this week's lesson, actually the whole quarter's lessons, Paul's two letters to the Thessalonians have taught us a great deal about how to be a church in a difficult environment. However different the immediate context he dealt with is to ours, the principles he espoused are enduring and eternal, because they are inspired by the Lord Himself. And that brings us to Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It's titled "A New Master," and it comes from Antonio Carlos de Souza Mendiro, who graduated from Brazil Adventist University in São Paulo, Brazil and now pastors 11 congregations in northern Brazil. A new Master. People living in the small West African country of Guinea-Bissau lead lives of uncertainty and fear. Ongoing political unrest breeds fear for the future. But an even greater fear comes from the spirits that they believe control their lives. Throughout the country, devil trees stand as a reminder that the devil and evil spirits are never far away. Some people claim to have heard spirit voices coming from these trees. Often these voices sound like people from the nearby village who have died. Spirit priests offer sacrifices to the spirits living in the devil trees, and parents may dedicate their children to the spirits in hopes that the children will be protected from harm. Tat is a young man whose grandmother had dedicated him to the devil when he was a child. He wore an amulet, a small goat's horn, around his neck at all times to protect him from evil spirits. His grandmother often warned him that sickness or death would surely come if he should ever break the covenant she had made on his behalf with the devil. Tat, now a young man, learned of the evangelistic meetings being held in his neighborhood. He decided to attend. As he listened to God's message of love, his heart was touched, and when the young speaker invited those present to give their hearts to God, Tat felt called to respond. He fingered the goat's horn hanging on his chest as he struggled with the truths he was learning. He wanted to follow Jesus Christ, but he had seen firsthand what Satan could do to those who tried to break away from the spirits. Just days earlier, a friend who also had been dedicated to the devil as an infant had died mysteriously. And as far as Tat knew, his friend hadn't broken away from the spirits. The spirits hadn't protected him after all, Tat thought. Tat continued to attend the meetings. The speaker explained that the devil rules by fear, but God rules by love. And God's perfect love casts out fear. Tat cast off his amulet and chose to follow Christ. Dozens of people in Guinea-Bissau, who once had been slaves to Satan, declared their freedom in Christ through those evangelistic meetings. Our mission offerings help break chains of fear and bondage every day. They help nurture and train new believers around the world to share God's love with others. This has been Dr Percy Harold with a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia and brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful.